Welcome to the Expert Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. The media has recently given a lot of coverage to the coronavirus that appears to have originated or first been found in Wuhan, China. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Many questions quickly come to mind, and Dr. Larry Bush, a physician who specializes in infectious diseases, was kind enough to join us to explain some of his concerns and the characteristics of the virus. Thank you, sir, for being with us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for asking me. This is, of course, a very complex subject, but there are questions that come to mind. Is this a significantly different virus, or is it just another new virus that has come into our community? The death tolls are not good under any circumstances. Do we know enough to say if this is more dangerous or less dangerous than other viruses like influenza? What do we know, and and how worried should we be? The coronaviruses were first found to be respiratory viruses in the early 60s. So they're common respiratory viruses that cause the common cold in in a percentage of people. They tend to also be located in animals. And when an animal coronavirus is able to be transmitted to a human, that's called a novel coronavirus. So the ones that have gotten the most press were back in 2002 and 2003 with SARS, serious acute respiratory syndrome. And then a few years later in 2012 with MERS, M-E-R-S, Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome. The first one being found in China, the second in the Middle East, particularly in Saudi Arabia. So these were novel coronaviruses because they crossed over from animals, mostly bats, into other hosts and into camels to humans. And when that happens, we call them novel because they're not normally human virus, coronaviruses. They all tend to cause respiratory illness with a degree of severity. So just to put things in perspective and numbers, the amount of SARS cases was estimated to totally be approximately 8,000, which around 770 died. So that would be a mortality rate of almost 10%. Compare that to MERS, the Middle Eastern one, in 2012, where there were around 2,300 cases, 825 died. That was 34%. So that was greater. So it shows that the viruses are different from each other and that there may be a higher mortality because some of them may cause more damage. What's interesting is the majority of people who become ill and who died were people over 50, more so males than women, and people with chronic diseases, fewer cases in children, and almost no mortality at all in children. Brings us to the current coronavirus, which is called novel coronavirus 2019, which, as you stated, started in an area in China called Wuhan, and it was first felt to have emanated from a market of seafood and animals, and then obviously got into humans. Now what we're seeing are human-to-human transmissions. So the latest numbers that I can determine as of this morning are approximately 2,000 cases of approximately 50 people have died, which would be a little bit less than 3%. Now, you could say, why are the numbers increasing so quickly? Well, they're increasing so quickly because we're looking for people who have respiratory symptoms to see if they have this virus. In other words, somebody who may just have an upper respiratory viral cold-like symptom is being evaluated now for this coronavirus, whereas prior to that, they wouldn't have been studied at all. So that's the concern. A, how well is it transmitted from human to human? And B, how lethal will it be compared to prior outbreaks of novel coronaviruses, notably SARS and MERS?
So if someone has a set of symptoms that look flu-like and they call their doctor, how can the doctor differentiate between an influenza or the corona? Is there laboratory data that helps to do that or is it more just by history of presentation? It's history of presentation and epidemiology. So right now there are categories called patients under investigation, PUI. And the recommendation is if you have the syndrome and there are three qualifications, a fever, a respiratory illness with cough, which is usually dry, and shortness of breath. When you put that together with were you potentially in an area where the virus has been, and as of today, there are approximately 24 countries where the virus has spread, the major one obviously being Wuhan, China. There are two cases, as you know, identified as of today in the United States, approximately 60 other people being investigated in the United States. Both of the United States cases had come back from Wuhan, China. There have been cases in Hong Kong, Taiwan, Australia, France, Japan, Naples, Malaysia, Korea, Singapore, Vietnam. So if you've been in an area where there are cases and you have that syndrome within the last 14 days, the recommendation is to call your doctor, not to present to an emergency room or to a clinic or to an urgent care. And then your doctor can make that assessment and contact the CDC. So let's give the number, the CDC specific number right now for reporting suspicious cases or patients under investigation is 770-488-7100. If you meet those criteria or if you've been exposed to a person who's met those criteria or a person who's actively tested positive, then there are three specimens that get sent off via the local health department to the CDC because it can't be done in a commercial lab. And that's a preliminary chain reaction test or a PCR from an upper respiratory tract specimen, that would be a nasopharyngeal swab, or a lower respiratory tract specimen, a sputum, along with serum. And then obviously you're isolated. And the isolation, whether at home or in a hospital, is airborne isolation. Although it's a droplet transmitted virus, we still are placing people on airborne isolation. And control of fomites, particularly hand washing and surface cleansing, is very important. The distinguishing feature from influenza is influenza is a much more multi-system disease with people having sore throats and often diarrhea and severe headaches and a productive cough. People shouldn't put too much play into that. And if they think they meet the other criteria, they should call their doctor and ask if they seem to fit. One of the things that you emphasized when we talked in the past was the importance of accurate diagnosis and the troubling, I'll use the word troubling, overuse of antibiotics. And people who are listening need to understand, and I'd like you to address it as well, this is a virus. It's not a bacteria. An antibiotic will not work. Can you talk about that? There's no benefit to treating viruses with antibacterial medications. Of course, there are antiviral medications, but there are none for this particular virus. Things that have been tried in studies before include drugs like ribavirin and interferons, and they haven't been very effective at all. The only reason to give an antibiotic with a viral infection is when the virus disturbs the respiratory tract lining, the normal bacteria flora that we all carry may invade and cause a secondary bacterial process. As we said before, the major cause of death from influenza is a secondary bacterial pneumonia. Now, it's interesting to me is obviously there's a lot of emotion about the coronavirus that's being detected and reported right now. But look at the mortality rate of approximately so far 3%. People admitted to a hospital with common community 
acquired pneumonia have a 6% chance of death. Influenza with bacterial pneumonia, secondarily, is sixth leading cause of death in this country in people over 65. And as we said before, only 68% of people over 65 agree to get a flu vaccine. Here, we're suddenly looking for a vaccine for this coronavirus, which will take a long time to develop if it is going to develop. One of the things, and I realize I'm bouncing back, patients have told me, is they'll have a flu-like syndrome, and they'll tell me that they had an extra Z-pack at home, or they borrowed a Z-pack from their neighbor, and they take it. They don't get better. I don't want to frighten people. I don't want them to become panicked, but they have to give some thought to what's going on here, and they should not take anything without at least speaking to their internist. Absolutely. Taking antibiotics without a bona fide clinical bacterial infection or a laboratory-proven bacterial infection is harmful. It's harmful for the individual. It's harmful for public health. That's why we're in the realm of multidrug-resistant bacteria right now. It's a real concern. It's, it's an epidemic. Not only that, there are side effects from antibiotics. Common one people are worried about are diarrhea diseases that we call clostridium difficile colitis. There are other side effects. There are cardiac side effects, tendon side effects, neurologic side effects. So antibiotics are considered very important drugs, but keep in mind, they are chemotherapy. I subscribe to a journal called Antimicrobial Agents and Chemotherapy, which is all about antibiotics. People tend to correlate chemotherapy with cancer therapy. Chemotherapy is any chemical that you ingest or inject used to treat a syndrome or a process. It doesn't make it any less harmful than cancer chemotherapy would be. You gave a listing of some different physical presentations, and I think that would be a very good takeaway. The major criteria which would differentiate coronaviruses from many of the other respiratory viruses, influenza, rhinovirus, etc., would be a dry cough, a fever, and shortness of breath. There's very little sore throat or congestion or sinus drainage or gastrointestinal symptoms or rash. That's not what's being reported. When you couple that with potential epidemiologic exposure, in other words, travel to areas where the virus has been confirmed, particularly China, or being exposed to a person who's being investigated for a similar syndrome who may have been one of those areas, or having been exposed to a person who has laboratory confirmation, again, by those polymerase chain reaction tests. So that's going to be very few people. In fact, as we said, in this country right now, there are two confirmed cases, both having come back from Wuhan and approximately 60 others under investigation, either because they've been exposed to those people or they also have come back. That's very few. And again, the numbers will become frightening because they will rise drastically because everybody who's potentially been exposed or been in those areas will be investigated if they have a respiratory syndrome. And a lot of them will test positive. Let me put that in perspective. During the Zika virus outbreak, 80% of people who tested positive were asymptomatic which means if you start testing people who may have had exposure, you may find that they have been exposed to the virus, although they have no symptoms at all. That likely will be the same event here. A lot of people with other respiratory viruses will test positive, even though they may not have severe disease. An interesting set of perspectives and an important, shall we say, guidebook for people who are concerned and for doctors. Dr. Bush, as always, thank you so much for a very succinct, good explanation of a situation that we all need to to uh, give some thought to. Thank you, and I, I wish you a very, very good day. Take care, sir. Thank you. You also.